Emerging technologies are transforming the healthcare industry as we know it. Investors, say hello to HTech, a portfolio dedicated to capturing the significant growth potential of healthcare innovation. Learn more at roboglobal.com slash HTEC. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn and complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance, which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Welcome to Total Wine & More. It's much more than a wine store. It's the eighth wonder of the world. When people talk about Total Wine & More, they get a little carried away. We're just a big, friendly place run by people with a passion for wine and beer. See, we travel the world to find the best wines from the best regions, and we sell them at the lowest prices anywhere. And friendly, helpful experts at every turn. You know what? Maybe we are the eighth wonder of the world. Shop in-store or online at TotalWine.com. Welcome, everyone, to a special two-part episode of the NBA Podcast. We've reached the final week of the regular season. So in this first part, we're going to talk about some injuries. We'll say goodbye to the New Orleans Pelicans and the Detroit Pistons, both of whom have been eliminated from playoff contention. And then we'll talk about some of the fun stories that have gone around the NBA in the last week. Before we get underway here, just a reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. In our bio, you can find all three of our Twitter handles. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> all right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. So be sure to give us a follow as well. You can find us on iTunes this year, so we'd love it if you subscribe, download, leave some reviews. We'd love any feedback you could provide. And we're being hosted this year on FanRag Sports. So check them out on Twitter at FanRag Sports and for their NBA content at FanRagNBA. Zach Harper, formerly of CBS Sports, is writing for FanRag this year. He's been pumping out a lot of great stuff. We've, we'll have a lot on the MVP talk. That will be in the second part of this special two-part episode, so be sure to check that out as well. But again, FanRag Sports on Twitter, at FanRag Sports. As always, I'm joined today by Morton Jensen and Sarah Chalea. How's it going, you two? It's going well, Brian. Pretty good. Good to hear, good to hear. We're a week away from the playoffs, and both of your teams possibly... Well, Sarah, your team is definitely going to make it. More, your team <laughs> seems like it's going to, for whatever reason. Uh, my team? I'm not sure what you're referring to. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a good point. Everyone, be sure to check out Morton's column. It was on Bloggable, right? Yeah, under the fan post section. Yeah. yeah. Morton wrote a really good column this week uh, where he made fun of me for calling the Bulls his team because he's, he's ready for a, a trial separation, I think is the right term. <laughs> that is the most accurate description I've seen so far. Yeah. Perfect. All right, guys. So let's talk about injuries, both good and bad news. And let's take the glass half full side first. We have some good news on the injury front. Kevin Durant has been cleared medically from the MCL sprain that he suffered in the end of February. 
He's supposed to be coming back Saturday against the Pelicans, barring a setback, according to ESPN's Chris Haynes. Steve Kerr has already said he's going to be on a minutes limit for these last three games of the season. So, Sarah, what do you want to see out of KD in these last three games? What should Warriors fans be particularly keeping an eye on? It's it's so little time to really get back to their, you know, some of the issues that they had earlier in the season as far as, you know, chemistry closing games, which that was only slightly an issue when they had close games to begin with, and I doubt that they're going to have them. But mm-hmm. really, all I would want to see is just him running around, getting up and down the court, <laughs> feeling confident on the leg. Um, I've seen him warming up uh, in the recent weeks, and he looks damn good. He still rarely misses a shot ever. So I would expect all that to be the same. Just, you know, get him in game shape, get him in some rhythm going into the playoffs. That's all I would care about. That sounds right. Mort, do you have any other things you're looking for? Oh, I'm not looking for anything. Just reps, reps, reps. I mean, it's Kevin Durant. He'll figure things out. Yeah, I think that's the the right take. for <laughs> Good for <laughs> us for avoiding hot takes here. We'll have plenty of those in the second part. But yeah, I mean, I, as you said, Sarah, it's three games. There's not that much time to get back into a rhythm and solve the issue, the chemistry issues or whatever, the late game closing, you know, hot potato they had. Um, so it, it'll just be good. You know, I, I'm more... I don't care what he does offensively. I just want to see if he's still got that defensive quickness and mm-hmm. you know how the death lineup fares with him now because Iguodala has been playing really well in his absence. So, you know, <laughs> a couple weeks ago we had expressed some concern about the Warriors. I think it's safe to say we are no longer on that boat. Uh, as long as KD doesn't suffer any setbacks, they're definitely entering the playoffs as the favorite. So... Uh, good luck to Warriors fans. We hope KD comes back healthy because, Sarah, even though you're a Spurs fan, I, I know ultimately <laughs> you just want to see everyone healthy in the playoffs. Yeah, definitely. Uh, all right, so let's move on. Kyle Lowry was the other big injury return this week. He came back Wednesday somewhat unexpectedly. The, <laughs> the Raptors just made no mention of it. And then all of a sudden in pregame, it was like, oh, yeah, by the way, Kyle Lowry's playing tonight on the second <laughs> night of a back-to-back. Uh, he... <laughs> Fared really well. He put up 27 points, 10 assists, and 5 rebounds against the Detroit Pistons, effectively eliminating them from the playoffs. I mean, we've had this talk numerous times, even since the trade deadline, but given what has transpired in the last couple days, uh, Boston getting their clocks cleaned by Cleveland and then losing to Atlanta Thursday night, the Wizards barely beating the Knicks and their defense looking a little shoddy in recent weeks. Otto Porter also hasn't been quite up to the level he was earlier in the season. And now Kyle Lowry is back in Toronto. So Mort, who do you have as the biggest threat in the East to Cleveland? That's a good question because that Boston Cavs game, right? I mean, look, they (laughs) they took a punch right in the teeth. And look, let's be honest here. They should have tried to get Paul George and Jimmy Butler in there because now it seems more necessary than it did just a couple of months back. They mm-hmm. need that primary dude. And that's, people are going to read that as me saying Isaiah Thomas isn't that guy. But, yeah, offensively he is, but you need to have, like, some type of true superstar wing with legit size who can play both ends of the court. Thomas, as much as I love him, is not a strong defender. So right. that's that's a huge concern. And it's also why I'm kind of 
iffy on Boston at this point. Mm-hmm. While Washington hasn't fared a hell of a lot better, I I still like their makeup a lot. Like with Bojanovic coming off the bench, and you still have the the starting lineup intact. I mean, I'm not counting them out at all, but mm-hmm. assuming Kyle Lowry keeps going the way that he's come back, like 27, 10, and 5 is ridiculous. But yeah. if he if he performs like this, uh, you know, the, the 22 points, the 8 assists, the multitude of frees and whatever, and he meshes well with Ibaka, mm-hmm. then Toronto has to be sort of my default option here. I mean, doesn't it? it with him healthy and thriving, Toronto has to be that second team. Yeah. I mean, I'm right with you. Uh, Sarah, Do you are you joining us on the Toronto train? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm tempted to say Wizards because they have played them so well. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though, strangely, they both kind of have uh, defensive deficiencies right now. So, mm. But maybe that's what makes them such a good matchup. But then if the Cavs find out how to defend, that could separate them in the playoffs. Uh, as we all know, once the regular season is over, it doesn't mean that much. Right. Um, but yeah, I tend to agree. If if Toronto gets healthy, I think they probably could pose the toughest challenge. Especially, you know, if they'd run that that pick and roll with uh, Valanciunas as often as I'd like them to, <laughs> I, I'd uh, support them a little more. But you know, picking up Tucker and Ibaka, I think gives them a, a better chance defensively. So mm-hmm. that that would give them the edge in my book. Yeah, I I think. We're both we're we're all in agreement here. Mm. Uh, you know the fact they held serve without Lowry for this last month really speaks to a how good Corey Joseph is, but b like the, yeah they're you know they just added an all star a week before the playoffs and they've already been you know they're probably going to finish with fifty wins this season having been without him for a month. Uh, you know I think the thing that alarmed me from the the Boston game and I, I'm pretty sure it was Avery Avery Bradley who called this out afterward. Um, he even said, like, look, LeBron just targeted Isaiah in pick and rolls. Like, he knew exactly what he wanted to do, and he just, like, went after this little five foot nine guy, <laughs> yeah. which is the smart play. Of course you do that. You know, I, right now, uh, ESPN.com has that real plus-minus metric. There are 467 qualifiers this season. Isaiah Thomas is dead last in defensive real plus-minus. So, I mean... You know, more as you were saying, offensively he is that guy. He is that twenty-five point per game superstar scorer. And you're thirty, right? But that you know, you want if you could like mesh him with Jay Crowder, then oh. you basically have your superstar. But because those two are separate entities, that's an issue. Uh, so yeah, I'm with you both in thinking it, it goes. The hierarchy is Toronto, Washington, and then Boston. Uh, Mort, it looks like your Bulls. I mean, the the race from five through nine right now is completely convoluted. It could change at a moment's notice. But if the playoffs were to start today, your Bulls would be facing the Celtics in the first round. All right, sorry, not your Bulls, the Bulls. That was twice, Brian. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's force of habit. Uh, how do you think you, the Bulls would, <laughs> would fare against the Celtics? Oh man, they they would probably lose pretty horridly because uh, Boston seems to have their number. Uh, they smoked them the last time they played. 
it's it's ironically and this it sounds so weird, right? But it's it's actually Cleveland that the Bulls should prefer to play, just because mm. they have their number <laughs> in the regular season. Uh, I, and not that that suggests that they are a better team, but just because they would have like some sort of they wouldn't have to go come over this mental hurdle of playing mm-hmm. the Cavs as they would Boston because they remember that Boston have has kicked their butts several times this year and and done so pretty handedly with Cleveland that fear isn't there I presume yeah. after game one it might be a different matter, but, <laughs> right <laughs> you know so so yeah I, I I think they would fear Boston quite a bit yeah. So we, we will have a full playoff preview next week once the matchups are all set. Uh, but again, 5 through 9 is so... I think they're all separated by two games right now, so that could change at a moment's notice. But could you uh, imagine the subplot in a in a Boston Celtics-Chicago Bulls series with oh, Jimmy Butler there? And, and the whole trade thing? Man. Yeah. It would be super funny. I'm yeah. personally rooting for it to happen. I'm rooting for the Bulls to beat the Celtics. I, I really want the Celtics, <laughs> no offense to Boston fans out there, but I really want the Celtics to get knocked out in the first round so Danny Ainge finally realizes, like, oh, maybe a 25% chance at Markel Fultz wasn't worth getting, you know, my 50-win team yeah. knocked out and wasting a year. Uh, like, Al Horford's not getting any younger. And Isaiah Thomas and Marcus Smart and Avery Bradley only have one year left on their contract. Like, maybe I should have push my chips in now uh, I mean I'll just quote James Holas yeah like please we, at the at the draft diary we had a oh, people yeah. breakdown last year yeah. or when we had to do these fictitious trades and we were talking about Jimmy Butler and I was asking him like how many picks would you give up to Jimmy for for Jimmy <laughs> and he was like Mort take all the picks take all <laughs> the damn picks yeah <laughs> that was just so fitting yeah yeah Well, we will come back with more playoff analysis next week. Let's turn our attention now to two bad notes of injuries. First, Derek Rose has a medial meniscus tear in his left knee. He underwent surgery Wednesday. He's expected to return to basketball activities within three to six weeks. The Knicks did not specify what type of surgery he had, but remember a couple episodes we had my wife Alex on. Uh, to explain the difference, it sounds like, based on that timeline, it's a meniscectomy rather than a meniscal repair, uh, which, you know, quicker recovery time, which is good for Rose because he's going to be a free agent in July, uh, more risk of long-term complications down the line, particularly once he gets into his 30s. So, more, you know, this is the latest in a long history mm-hmm. of knee injuries for Mr. Rose, uh, what do you think it means for his free agent prospects? Where do you think he ends up? How long of a contract does he sign? How much is it worth? Well, I, I definitely think it's, it influences the amount of money that mm-hmm. he's going to get paid. But I, I don't want to sleep on the fact that he's had like a quiet bounce-back year. Yeah. I mean, that's we've made a, a lot of fun uh, on the behalf of the Knicks, but we've sort of not touched on that Rose has, has played pretty well overall. Mm-hmm. He's had some issues fitting into the triangle. He's had some issues fitting in alongside Melo and Chris Tops. So that's one thing. And he's not a playmaker. He probably never will be. But still, 18 points a game. He's, he's more or less stopped shooting the three, which is both good and bad. But like he realized that that was not part of his game. So he removed it. If it should reappear in the future when he gets like 
a better if he becomes a better shooter, whether you know we don't know if that's going to be the case or not, then you can sort of revisit that. But in terms of the money this year and where he lands, no idea on where he lands, mm-hmm. and I would I would guess that he's probably not going to be signed for more than one year that's fully guaranteed mm-hmm. unless it's like at a ridiculous discount like if yeah. if he if he signs for a discount and and he secured like four years then i wouldn't even mind it i i mean look like five years or like four years 20 mil like sure oh like, yeah I mean, yeah definitely right but he's probably not going to do that. He he would probably offer something like one year, fifteen, like a Jeff Green deal. Does that sound like mm-hmm. out of reach? No, that sounds that's where I'm thinking too. Or even like what Rondo did with the Kings two years ago, right. even with the Bulls this past year. You know, two years, twenty eight, maybe a, a couple million guaranteed the second year to protect in terms of injury. Yeah, I, you know, I have pegged Sacramento as his landing spot for months now. Yeah, uh, especially because Darren Collison and Ty Lawson are both going to be free agents. You have to assume they're going to get a point guard in the draft, but maybe they're going to want to bring in. You know, it, it all that was all before the boogie trade. Maybe now they're like finally fully committed to a rebuild. So, like you, I have no idea where he ends up. I think a lot will just depend on you know the free agent movement of all the other big point guards. Like, if Chris Paul, I don't think he's going to leave the Clippers, but if he does, suddenly they have, what, like, Raymond Felton and Austin Rivers as their top two point guards? Like, right. maybe Rose goes there, you know? Maybe the Pelicans, if they lose Drew Holiday, suddenly you're looking at Tim Frazier as your top point guard. Uh, but so Minnesota, it, though? I mean, we yeah, talked I, about Ricky this Rubio's last been week. playing so well. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I know. I know. Not, not necessarily as a starter, but, like, Let's let's look at the oh, facts yeah. here. He he's injured again. He mm-hmm. understands, and his rep- representation understands that this hurts his market value. Mm-hmm. And he also knows, by sheer experience, that the one guy who's really tapped into what he can do is Tom it's freaking James. Thibodeau. Yeah. And if we see Taj Gibson sign there, which we all kind of anticipate is going to happen. And and by and large, like Minnesota would have to make some moves and whatnot. They are not as cap friendly as one would think they are. Mm-hmm. Having said that, it would make kind of sense seeing Rose and Taj, you know, joining up forces alongside Tips. I mean, I wouldn't rule it out. Yeah, that's and we can't rule out a return to New York either. You know, they sure. they've been very adamant about returning to the triangle next year and rose is not a big fan of the triangle but if the knicks decline phil jackson's team option the triangle mm. probably goes out the window so we'll, we'll talk about the Knicks. we'll revisit them in a few minutes uh but a lot is gonna be hinging on both phil jackson and what happens with carmelo anthony before we get to mellow uh, and the latest in the mellow drama we need to talk about the other big injury of the week. Yusuf Nurkic, you know, we, we've been praising him for the last month, so naturally we gave him the podcast Kiss of Death. Um, <laughs> he has a non-displaced right leg fibular fracture that will keep him out for the remainder of the regular season. He was warming up Thursday night. The Blazers are still optimistic that he's going to be back for the playoffs. Uh, right now they have a 1.5 game lead over the Denver Nuggets, so... Barring a catastrophic collapse, they will be in. They they have three home games remaining against Utah, San Antonio, New Orleans. San Antonio has been resting players left and right. So we're assuming that Portland is going to make the playoffs. So, Sarah, 
if they do, assuming they do, do they have any chance of winning a single game if against the Warriors if Nurkic cannot make it back in time? Oh, I hate to just say it's going to be a sweep, but yeah, that's that's the likelihood. I mean, I would give them a chance to win one game, but it would be a microscopic chance. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the Blazers are wonky. I mean, if they get hot from three, perhaps, but the, the Warriors are probably going to be hot from three, too. <laughs> right. And they have the four horsemen of the apocalypse, so... <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't see it happening. How is that not their nickname? That should totally be. That's yeah. way better than Big Four. Definitely. Has it not been? I don't know. I don't think oh. I made that up, but maybe I did. I I, I may have seen that somewhere. Okay. Don't give me credit. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I have um, not seen that, so I'm going to give you credit for it. I will say that I'm bummed because Nurkic was my favorite late season storyline, mm, and yeah, yeah it's, it sucks. But yeah. What can you do? Hopefully, hopefully you can come back in the playoffs. That would be fun. Yeah, I, I one of my favorite things when they beat so, you know, they were losing by like fifteen to the Timberwolves on Thursday until Alan Crabb just went nuclear and hit like seven threes in a row, uh, and then afterward, Nurkic said a tweet that was like a muscle arm and like one more step, and then a handshake or like a hand wave, which which was pretty clearly intended for the Nuggets. And after oh. the Portland beat the Nuggets the other night, he you know wished his Nugget, former Nuggets teammates a good summer. So. I am likewise enjoying shade-throwing Nurkic, because <laughs> he has not been shy about his feelings toward the Denver organization. Are they fair, though, when you think about it? Were they fair to Nurkic? Not, yeah, I mean, those, I mean, the shade, really. I mean, I kind of understand why you choose Nikola Jokic over yeah. him. I, I mean, I get right. that he has to have, like, a lot of confidence and... He has to believe that he is the best center every time he steps on the court, yada, yada, yada. But, I mean, look, I don't think Denver did anything wrong here. No, no I don't either. I mean, they, they started Nurkic. At the beginning of the season, they started both of them. Right. And then when they realized that wasn't working, they benched Jokic. They kept Nurkic in the starting lineup. And then Jokic outplayed him, moved into the starting lineup. Nurkic moped for two months and then got traded. So... Exactly. So, like, I, I get what you're saying, and it is fun to see him throw shade. I'm just like, yeah. dude, dude, just <laughs> yeah, right. look at the facts for a little bit. But, uh, no, yeah. I agree overall. I mean, look, I'm just going to throw you his raw numbers, and then I'm going to have you guess how many minutes he plays. Okay. 15.2 points, 10.4 rebounds, 3.2 assists, 1.3 steals, 1.9 blocks. How many minutes? Because those are, are healthy numbers. Yeah, with with those, no, normally I would expect somewhere in the like thirty three to thirty five range. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not though. Twenty nine point four. No, twenty nine point two. Like less oh than thirty. <laughs> That's insane production. Yeah, fantasy basketball owners, if you're listening, draft Yusuf Nurkic in the early rounds next year. He's going to be a monster. Yeah. Um, okay, so we are not optimistic about the. Blazers chance without Nurkic again we'll do our playoff preview next week so hopefully we'll have a better sense of whether he's back and we can talk more about the schematics of that matchup let's move back to the Knicks for a second Uh, Carmelo Anthony speaking of throwing shade uh, Mello 
has basically, it sounds like his bags are packed and he's ready to leave New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, on March 29th, he, after a game where he did, had a reduced role, he told reporters, quote, I see the writing on the wall. I see what it is. I see what they're trying to do, and it's just me accepting that. Uh, on Monday, he was talking with reporters about his upcoming exit meeting with Phil Jackson, and he said, quote, the chips will be on the table in that meeting. So, Mort, do you think Carmelo Anthony is a Nick when free agency kicks off on July 1st? No, but first first things first, I want to be a fly on the wall for that exit meeting. <laughs> yeah. I mean. I know. Yeah. And, and, like, could you just imagine, this could be a pay-per-view event. Like, him <laughs> yeah. sitting across Phil Jackson over a small table. I mean, I would pay money to watch what how that meeting would unfold. I mean, but no, I, 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 could, I could actually see... Anthony in, in Brooklyn. I know this has been talked about Ooh. a little bit. Uh, assuming they keep Brooke Lopez around. Like, Brooklyn could theoretically need a boost. They're not getting... Like, they can't play for draft picks anyway. Sure. So, I mean, if and if they give yeah. up, like, fairly nothing, I mean, why not? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I mean they, ha- yeah, they have two picks that are probably going to be in the 20s this year. The earliest pick they could give up after that is in 2020 because their 2018 first rounders going to the Celtics. Mm. Um, but yeah, but they've got a bunch of like young, intriguing. You know, they have like Karis LeVert and Rondé Hollis Jefferson, Isaiah Whitehead, Sean Kilpatrick. Like they've yeah. got a few fodder. things, right? And and the thing is, I don't think they that the Knicks can even demand a whole bunch of return <laughs> because like right. they slaughtered Melo's trade value. Phil yeah. Jackson did that. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't even be surprised to see Melo get shipped for, for what is really like 10 cents on the dollar. He could be had for extremely little. little. And if you're Brooklyn, I'm just thinking, sure, why not? I mean, yeah. what, what, what do they possibly have to lose here? Right, because as you said, they have no incentive to tank for a draft pick Exactly, and, and they still need a scorer, and they still need a mm-hmm. guy who can show all the youngsters there how to do it and Melo for all his faults is still a fantastic scorer he's still a phenomenal player I could totally see this rubbing off positively for a, a lot of guys like Karis LeVert who you mentioned yeah. I say a yeah. whitehead who's like a natural scorer but just needs to like learn how to play angles and whatnot like Melo would be a godsend for him mm-hmm. yeah I mean it will always for wherever he goes if he goes anywhere it will always come down to the price so it like if I'm Brooklyn, I don't sell the farm for Carmelo Anthony. Oh, who's, right, right. You know, who's not a long-term fixture of your future, especially when your talent pipeline is already pretty depleted and, you know, you're <laughs> not going to get your first-round pick next year. But, yeah, if the Knicks were really willing to sell for, like, a one of their two first-round picks this year and a first-round pick in 2020 and then, like, one of their young guys, like Sean Kilpatrick, and that's it, yeah, well, yeah, you make yeah. that deal. Like Vonde uh, Hollis Jefferson and a second, like I mean, come on, just yeah. something. I, I mean, and look, that's that's, that's the argument right there. Like if if New York is countering with, oh, this this is Carmelo Anthony you were talking about, then the counter is yes, it is, and you absolutely murdered every right. chance you had at getting something valuable back in return. Yes. Yeah. Well, he also it is worth noting he has a no trade clause, so. We don't know if Brooklyn would be on one of his teams, one of his list of approved teams. That said, well, he loves New York, though. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, it sounds like at least the Clippers 
you know, depending on what happens with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin and J.J. Redick, frankly, that could be a destination. The Bulls, if Dwayne Wade stays, that could be a destination. They're, the Knicks will have options, presumably. And it sounds like Mello is so fed up with being a Nick that he might <laughs> broaden his list of teams. That you know, it, it, I think at the trades online, it was literally only like Boston and the Clippers, which is... Yeah, I wasn't. Or no, sorry, the Bulls and the Clippers. But now he might be more willing to move uh, <laughs> to a who knows China. Oh, just <laughs> yeah, to right. a Chinese club. It's fine. Right. I don't care. Just get me out of here. Yeah, Sarah, do you think Mello is on the move this summer? Yeah, I do. But I, I just really, and this is probably a really niche reference, but I just kind of want him in that meeting to hire like a singing telegram to go with him. I just have Ann Peebles, the handwriting is on the wall song, while he just kind of stares at Phil. Like, I wish we could play that in, in this podcast, because it's a perfect oh song. Oh my god. I love that song so much. But yeah, just stare. I'll, I'll do it if he wants. He could just, like, give me a dollar. I just want to do that. I'll sing it for him. Yeah. Alright, we need to just, you should just tweet at him every single day with that recommendation. Let me go with you, please! Yeah, we right. can do this. Yeah. I oh hate how we can't see or hear that meeting with Phil. Like, yeah. if this had been with the Bulls, at least the conversation would have been recorded. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Wow. Don't, don't worry. The Knicks are one of the leakiest organizations in sports. So, you know, within an hour of that meeting being done, like, Ramona Shelburne will have a full write-up of everything that was said from both oh, sides. Oh, that's true. She's fantastic, uh, isn't she? Yeah, I like know. that. She's yeah. done so many. Like we haven't really given a shout out to to a, a whole bunch of the writers who just make amazing stories. Like her oh, yeah. story on the Lakers recently. Oh my that was lord! Really I mean, I, this is a true story. I actually ran my bus up to pass two places, like two destinations, too far <laughs> because I was reading it and I didn't even realize where the hell I was. Like that was just I was totally caught up with it so i went two bus stops and stops too far and that was amazing she's, yeah. she's just yeah one of the That's best sports writers out there i uh i was reading chris ballard's story uh sarah you i think tweeted mm-hmm. it and that's how i saw it the one about monty williams which is phenomenal mm-hmm. everyone if you haven't read it yet carve out 15 minutes it's like just one of the most powerful pieces of nba writing you will read probably ever um but yeah, I was on the I was on the L yesterday going to pick up my car, and I damn near missed my stop because I was just so transfixed. So yeah, we'll, we'll give a, a shout out maybe a, next week as the playoffs start to to the, all the NBA writers out there for doing a hell of a job this year. Damn um, NBA writers making us miss our stops. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's move on to our post mortems. We have two this week: the Pelicans. Uh, are officially eliminated from playoff contention, so we need to revisit the Boogie Brow tandem now that we have about a month's worth of sample size. So since acquiring Cousins, the Pelicans are only 10 and 11, but they have the 11th best net rating in the NBA. And in the 394 minutes Cousins and Davis have played together, they have a plus 2.8 net rating. So Sarah, now that we've seen more of Boogie Brow... How are you feeling about the long-term fit of that duo? I'm still not sure how I feel about it, honestly. Um, I'd like to see them together for a whole year. It hasn't been especially encouraging, which is a little disconcerting. But 
we have said that they need shooting around him. They they kind of have to hope that like a, a Seth Curry pops up again <laughs> this summer that they can sign on the cheap. Um, yeah, I, it's not been great, but I think we got to give Gentry a whole season with them and see what happens. And if he can't figure it out, then well, we'll, yeah. we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, it's it's it has not been great and certainly could be better. And I, I think part of that is is scheme, and part of it is, you know, like we've talked about, Boogie is extremely skilled and, and so good, but there's some of the other unglamorous sides of the game that he doesn't involve himself <laughs> in as much, like defense. Right. Yep. Um, so that would help if he, was, if he would pull along on that side a little more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, more. I want you to weigh in both on Boogie Brow and then also, you know, as Sarah mentioned, as we've talked about before, we'd like to see them acquire shooting somehow. Yeah. Problem is, they have $89 million of salary already on the books for next season, and that's not counting Drew Holiday, who's an unrestricted free agent. So mm-hmm. once, if they're able to re-sign him, they're going to blow past the salary cap already. Then they're probably only going to have, like, the mid-level exception. They might even be... You know, depending on what happens, they could be close to the uh, luxury tax already. Right. So, what would you like to see them, like, how would you like to see them build around Boogie and Brow if you think that's the route they should go? Well, I, I would I would see if they can move Solomon Hill for anything, honestly, mm-hmm. that gives them cap relief. They mm-hmm. probably won't be able to, because that was a I, I'm not sure it was a panic signing, but it wasn't a good one. It was built off very small sample size where he played well, and then right. they sort of said, "Hey, you're worth what 52 million." Yeah. No, that turned out to be extremely false. Um, so, so there are some. <laughs> I was about to say bad apples, but that's unfair. Bad apple contracts uh, <laughs> right. on, the, on the team that needs to go. So it's really a tricky situation. I kind of dig the boogie brow tandem on its potential. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've seen a fair bit of Pelicans since Buki arrived, and Sarah just nailed it with the defense. He, he's really having a tough time grasping what they're doing out there, so he's trying to play a lot of one-on-one defense, and he's getting burned. His rotation patterns are just completely off, and I'm not sure. I think it's the scheme, because I didn't see this many flaws in, in Sacramento, so... Mm-hmm. It could be a question of him just getting the reps in, but he, more more than that, he seems frustrated again, and it's just like I'm not sure what he's frustrated about. He's getting a lot of shots, he's getting the ball a ton, like it's it's pretty apparent that that Davis is actually giving up the rock a lot more to him and allowing him the freedom to be himself, and it seems like that's not enough for Pookie. And I'm I'm probably reading too much into that, but. I don't know. I can't get a read on him here in in New Orleans. Maybe it's because he's just not really over the whole situation. Like he's a, a very emotional mm. guy, and I could totally see him having to use like six months or more to just mentally move on from another place. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it seems like he's really stuck on the mindset that Sacramento they promised me all these things and then they traded me and I feel really betrayed. Like he's a really He's a really emotional guy. I think if he had a tough coach around him, like Brad Stevens, and when I say tough, I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way, but a guy who holds him accountable and a guy who who can also, you know, 
take him, take it, put him, put his arm around his shoulder and waist or whatever, and say, you know what, let's let's figure this thing out together. Like that's sure. that's the type of coach that he needs. So we'll see. But financially, they're not in a good place at all. Yeah. Um, which might force them down to life to break up this duo. And I I don't want to see that happen quite yet. I want to see them get some serious uh, shooting in there. Maybe each one more bounces back next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so do you think it's just a matter of, you know, you were mentioning, especially his defensive rotations have seemed off. Do you think it's yeah. just a matter of he needs a full training camp and preseason with this team, and then maybe next year they'll be better? Well, you, you're going to have to give it a shot, right? I mean, it, it's it, it wouldn't hurt. It can't possibly hurt. Having a full training camp under your belt with a new team is more often than not a huge thing, like, because mm-hmm. they, everyone starts at basically the same page at training camp because you have roster additions you have some things that the coaching staff has picked up during the summer that okay we need to change this we need to just tinker with this and that and whatever and that's going to be introduced to the players at the start of training camp and he's going to be a part of that he's then he's had the reps from finishing the year here with new orleans so i'm i'm very optimistic about him accepting New Orleans and its system a lot more after a full training camp so I'm yeah. not concerned as of yet but I mean if he has a bad start next year like the first 30 games next year that's going to be the big issue yeah that's that's going to be that little time period where I'm going to just be glued to the screen to see if like mm-hmm. where his head is at right 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 yeah I mean I, I'm I'm still cautiously optimistic about this duo uh you know you've seen some games where both of them just they feed off of each other and they're just like both are so unstoppable that if alvin gentry can figure out a way like there should never be a single second of the game where both of those guys are off the court like always all 48 minutes they should have one of them so then you always have that like unstoppable player like again I'm, i'm going back to the timberwolves blazers game on thursday but the second Carl Anthony Towns stepped off the court, the Blazers would go on a run, and then he'd come back on, and the Wolves would stem the bleeding. Like, that that's what Cousins and Brow give New Orleans. Like, there should not be a time where both of those guys are off the court. So you should all, like, you shouldn't have these teams going on runs because, oh, all right, like, Anthony Davis isn't protecting the rim anymore. Um, it is going to be tough for them to build around. I like the idea of moving Solomon Hill. It seems like... You know, they they built last year's roster with this defensive mentality, figuring we're going to build around Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday, but now you acquire DeMarcus Cousins, you you have to completely throw out your old roster construction, and now we're building around these two bigs. So, you know, now we just need to line three-point shooters around them. The decision to waive Omri Caspi is going to come back to haunt them. Uh, he would have been a perfect yeah. fit for that roster, and he was... Signed relatively, I think it was like six million a year. It was not a huge contract. Um, you know, they're they might have to consider using the stretch provision on Omer Sheik, who still has two years left on his deal. That would they'd waive him and he'd, they'd pay him about five million dollars annually for the next half decade. But you know, Cousins is a free agent after next season, so that would hurt. But like, if if it's the difference between getting a Sheik's cap hold off the books quicker and 
getting shootings so you could actually see if this Cousins brow tandem is viable long term. You're going to have to do the latter. So it's going to be a very interesting offseason with the Pelicans, starting with, frankly, starting with lottery night, because if they keep their top three pick, or if their pick falls within the top three, they get to keep it. Uh, and then Drew Holiday's free agency. We'll see who else they can pick up. But it's going to be. <laughs> I'm very, like you, Mort, I will be tuning in to Pelicans games nightly once the 2017-18 season starts. Just Um, one note. um, It it has sort of a Philly-Iverson vibe to it, the whole thing, right? Remember when it was just Iverson and a bunch of defenders? It seemed like that Mm -hmm. was the plan New Orleans went for with Davis. Like, you had this one superstar, and then they just surrounded with a lot of a bunch of scrappy guys. Like, each one more. That's a scrappy signing, right? Right, right, right. And then... Philly kind of realized like the following year, oh, we need another scorer. So they got, like, I think it was Derek Coleman. Mm-hmm. And then the year after it was Keith Van Horn. Like mm-hmm. they tried to pilfer these these scorers next to Iris and like, hey, okay, now you have a scorer and it just didn't work out. Yeah. <laughs> but but so it's kind of interesting to see. This is this is like the Iverson slash mellow years just in New Orleans. Yeah. Like right, it, right, right. It, so it's it's kind of an interesting subplot there, like if they can coexist long term or if it's just gonna be like the same results over and over just with two guys instead. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. Yeah. Uh all right, let's turn our attention now to the Pistons who I am sorely disappointed in this year. I had them pretty firmly in the playoffs. And uh, Reggie Jackson's knee injury, or he has has left knee tendonitis. He missed the first month of the season after undergoing a PRP injection on it. It sounds like he was just never right the whole year. So it's hard to fault him uh, for, you know, how bad the Pistons were with him on the court. But they had bottom five offensive and defense ratings with him on the court. They played a lot better with Ish Smith. Uh, Sarah, I want to ask you about Andre Drummond, because that's the one, you know, knock on wood, Reggie Jackson's going to come back healthy next year, and he might not be as good as he was in 2015-2016, but he's not. I don't think he'll be as bad as he was this year. Andre Drummond's the one I'm concerned about, though, because he's, you know, he's 23, he's still got plenty of time, it's way too early to write him off entirely, but he's showing some signs of stagnation that concern me. What, what are you thinking about Andre Drummond? Do you think he's he still has the potential to become that you know the the Shack of the, uh, the, the like the Shack of the Dwight Howard of the Pistons, like the the guy who anchors a Stan Van Gundy four out one in offense? Uh, I don't know. I, I'm down on him too. <laughs> I love more your response. Um, no, no, that was to you, like. The, the sound that was just so fitting yeah uh, that's, right? that's, yeah that's all I've got um, no I I agree that it's always a little worrisome to see the stagnation that you alluded to he, he didn't really take any steps forward this year um, personally I think I wouldn't bring back the core that they have right now uh, I would blow it up and build around Boban I think that's the way to go <laughs> Yeah, no, it was a very disappointing season for them. I, too, thought they were going to be playoff contenders. I liked what they did last year, and, yeah, it's always scary when you go backwards. Sure, some of that can go to Reggie's knee, but, you know, like you said, I don't know how how healthy he was even when he came back, but the fact that Mm -hmm. when he came back he kind of blew up their chemistry, too, is not good. So I don't even know if, you know, if I'd be more concerned about Drummond or Jackson at this point. Probably Jackson. Yeah, that's a good point. 
where where do you stand on the blow things up trade? Do you think it's time for Stan Van Gundy to take a sledgehammer to this roster? <laughs> Worth noting, of course, that Contavious Caldwell Pope it will be a restricted yeah. free agent in July. He's probably going to get a hundred million dollars or more. The Nets and the Sixers are both rumored Oof. to be interested in in him. You know, he might. It's possible he gets a max deal. So. If you're the Pistons, do you match whatever he gets and bring this core back and hope Jackson comes back healthy and Drummond improves, or are you like Sarah? Is it time to blow things up? Yeah, I'm probably going to ask whatever team signs KCP to an offer sheet. Is is there any chance you're willing to do a sign and trade? Mm. Because I'm not really digging the whole roster. Here's the thing about Drummond, because I agree with you guys. I am wildly concerned about Andre Drummond. Like He's... I thought he was on his way to becoming like an elite shot blocker, an elite defender, mm-hmm. whilst being an amazing rebounder. And Brian, you nailed it. He's stagnated. Like he's even declined a little bit. His yeah. scoring game has not gotten better. His rebounding is is always excellent. So that's yeah. like the one thing that we can't never knock on knock him for. But his defense is just—it's a big old meh. It's pretty average. He can on occasion provide some really nice games where he does everything correctly, which just adds to the frustration level. Mm. Right. Um, and then the free throw shooting. Just remember when I, I actually gave his free throw shooting a crush earlier yep. this year. <laughs> and yeah, I guess I doomed it because it's back down against 38, almost 39%, which is horrid. So there's two ways to go about this. You could look at it and say, well, we have one of the league's absolute top rebounders who can also score in double digits, uh, who has some serious flaws, but if we can keep him, he'll be a second star or a first star, whatever, and then he's that one. He's at least one piece we don't have to worry about. Or you can say, what's his value right now? Are there, are there teams out there who is willing to give up like a significant draft pick mm-hmm. or a significant young player who has the potential to be even more than him? And if so, you you got to consider it at this point. I'm inclined to say the sledgehammer and then with the possibility of keeping Drummond around. But mm-hmm. if he's like the guy who can make or break a rebuild through his value, then I'm going to have to pull the, the, the hard choice here and say, yeah, he's got to go. Yeah. So Zach Lowe of ESPN wrote about the Pistons, uh, I think right around the All-Star break, before the trade deadline. He reported that the Pistons had quietly explored the trade market for both Jackson and Drummond. Mm. Uh, He said they were disappointed in the return. Uh, The thing, so here's what concerns me about Drummond. Two things, frankly. Um, One, and Zach Lowe mentioned this in a recent uh, 10 Things I Like and Don't Like column, and one of the don't likes was Andre Drummond postgame because they just keep feeding him the ball. And Zach had a great description where he's basically like, you, this is what you're expected to do with a franchise player, but it just feels like they're wasting possessions at this point. Because he's shooting, like, I think it's around 43% on post-ups this year. He's only scoring on 37%. He draws fouls on less than 10% of the time he gets the ball in the post. And it's probably because he's shooting three free throws at 39%. You know, he's not, he's not even a good free throw shooter. He's an awful free throw shooter. So he doesn't want to draw contact. And so then... Instead of like going up strong to the basket, he takes these stupid hook shots. Like he backs a guy down in the post one on one, does a turnaround hook shot that like oftentimes just looks 
terrible just coming off of his hand, doesn't have much of a chance of succeeding. If he develops that post game and he, you know, he learns, hey, it's fine to shoot one of six from the free throw line. At least I'm, you know, <laughs> at least I'm having a chance to score those first two points so that it's an and one. Uh, that would help offensively. I think, you know, I'm sure the Pistons are feeding him that much because they figure, hey, game reps are the only way he's going to get better, and I'm not ruling out the possibility of him becoming more consistent with those hook shots, but I would like to see him dial that down at least until, you know, you see some sort of progress there. Mm. Defensively is where I'm concerned because, as you mentioned, Mort, the shot blocking is just not there. Like, he used to, he was blocking, I think, close to two shots a game two years ago. Down to 1.1 this year, right? Like, it's yeah. a career-low rate. Even by, a, you know, his minutes are slightly down from last year, but even if you go on a per-36-minute basis, still a career-low rate. Uh, people are shooting really well against him within six feet. I think it's around 55%, which is not what you want from your rim protector. You know, like Joella B, they were shooting 41% against. You can't build around a guy as your primary rim protector if he's not going to actually protect the rim. So that's the big concern for me. I'm I'm inclined to say you give it one more shot and you see if Jackson can come back healthy. Like, you match whatever KCP offer sheet gets this summer. But if Jackson doesn't come back healthy, if Drummond doesn't show any signs of improvement, then you have a quick trigger next season. You're ready to blow things up in December. Because, you know, waiting at that point, waiting until the trade deadline is not going to help you at all. But a lot of those guys are signed long term, so there's not a huge rush. It's not like they're going to lose all of their value uh, on the trade market. <laughs> their their poor play would be what deteriorates their trade value rather than an expiring contract. But yeah, I mean, they showed such signs of hope two years ago. So I just think you you know you you hope. Jackson puts this knee stuff behind him and he gave an interview the other day where he's like, you know, I've seen some silver linings in the season. I think it's actually teaching me that I have to diversify the way I play and kind of like he, he ran the most pick and rolls in the league in 2015, 2016. So maybe he dials that back and becomes more diverse offensively. Um, So I, I, I'd want to see this core one more time before making a decision, but I can understand why you guys are just <laughs> you're done with these Pistons because they were they were very disappointing. Uh, if you want more on the Pistons, I've got a column going out soon on B-Ball Breakdown about them, which has a lot on Jackson and Drummond. Um, but yeah, more yeah. Hit me. So yeah, regarding Contavious Coldwell Pope, let me ask you guys something. Mm-hmm. Right now, he's projected to you know earn twenty million a year. Yep. Had he posted this uh, stat stat line? At age twenty-seven, as opposed to at age twenty-three, mm-hmm. he would probably not have gotten more than like five million a year. Uh, I don't think so. not in today's climate. Like, Evan Turner you, just got four years, seventy million. <laughs> right, but like who who bid against you know Portland there? Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, mean, I'm just saying. I don't. I don't think. I, I think the whole restricted free agency is kind of messing with people's heads. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, he's young. Ergo, he's got a he's got a whole bunch of t- potential. I'm right. not paying Contavious Caldwell Pope twenty million a year for fourteen points, three rebounds, two and a half assists, and forty percent from the field. 
Yeah. I'm just not. I know he's strong defensively, and that's right. fine, but I'm not paying $20 million for it. We, we're talking about Drummond, who's a bad defender and somewhat decent on-ball scorer, with, or not on-ball scorer, but uh, open scorer, like when you know he's not being fouled or taking a hook <laughs> shot. Like, he's okay. Right. Like, he can't yeah. score. So why would I want the opposite? A guy who's struggling mightily offensively, but it's just okay. You know, oh, okay, he's more than okay defensively. He's good defensively. But he is mm-hmm. he is not even average, offensively speaking. Yeah. Well, so he did hurt just... his rotator cuff, and he missed a couple games in January. Like, before yeah. that, he was actually doing really... His, if you look at his scoring splits before that injury and after... He's far more inconsistent afterward than he was before. He was actually, you know, he looked like a max player earlier this year, and then he got hurt, and then it's been kind of a mess. Um, really? Then, you, the max player? Do you really think so? In this climate? I mean, like, you know, <laughs> there are very few guys who I think are like, you know, I we didn't think Harrison Barnes was a max player. Basically, you're hoping right. what happened with Harrison Barnes last year, he put up, you know, paltry numbers with Golden State in, you know, a relatively small role. He mm-hmm. goes to Dallas, he's becomes one of their primary scorers, he blows up, has a great year. You're hoping that same thing for KCP, but as you mentioned, Mort, because he's so solid defensively, I would feel more comfortable giving him a max okay. than I did, like, you know, than yeah. Evan Turner getting 70 million, or even Alan Crabb getting 75 million. I think it's... I, I think... There is enough difference between KCP and Crab that that extra twenty five million or whatever, you know, that contract could come back to haunt you, no doubt. But I, yeah, it, I would be very surprised if he does not get a max this summer. I, I frankly think it'll be from the Nets. I don't know if the Sixers would go full max, but the Nets, you know, they proved last summer. Yeah, Sean Marks is super aggressive and restricted free agency, so it would not surprise me at all. Yeah, I'm I'm not feeling it because of like not not just this year, but also his career numbers. He's not been yeah. a high efficiency scorer. And yeah. like to your point about Harrison Barnes, well, Barnes was kind of buried behind Steph Curry <laughs> and Clay Thompson. Like KCP is right. not buried behind anyone. He's had every chance to like break out and hasn't done so. So that's kind of why I'm hesitant. But yeah. I, I I get the defensive part and I, because he is a terrific defender. Uh, you know, good to terrific. On any given night, he seems to have that on-off button as well. Once in a while, though, but yeah, yeah uh, I I wouldn't give him that that much money at all. I would actually, if I could, I would see if I can get some sort of rookie instead. I think a mm. solid rookie could put up the same offensive number as lead, not provide the same defensive impact. But if you get a guy with some level of defensive potential, I'll rather have that. Yeah, and see what fair. I can get. Yeah. And Detroit, it's worth noting they I mean they have their. First round pick this year is probably going to fall 10, 11, 12 range. Probably, I'm guessing uh, Malik Monk will be off the board by then. So, there, like, I guess Terrence Ferguson is probably the next best shooting guard prospect. Mm. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, they Sorry, might Terrence. have to go in free agency. But, like, you know, a guy like J.J. Redick for three years, $36 million might make more sense than KCP for four years and... Oh. 100. I um, like that. Yeah. Redick is the guy who I, you know, I don't think there's any chance he stays with the Clippers this summer. And I, I think whoever gets him is going to get him on a, a pretty good deal. Derek Rose and JJ Redick in Detroit. 
I'm calling it. <laughs> All right. Derek wants to go back home. He can't go to Chicago. Milwaukee yeah. doesn't want him. Detroit is like something that's fairly close by. Why yeah. not? Yeah, it's only a four-hour drive. That's yeah. good. All right, let's move into our Where Amazing Happened segment, where, frankly, one of the most amazing things that's happened since we've started recording happened this week. Russell Westbrook tied Oscar Robertson's triple-double record, and for a single season, he has 41 on the year. Worth noting, we are recording this on Friday. The Westbrook and the Thunder play the Suns tonight, so, frankly, by the time... You listen to this, there's a very good chance that he will have passed that triple-double record. He is also six assists away on the season for having a triple-double average on the year, uh, which is just... Ridiculous. Yeah, there are no words to describe what Russell Westbrook has done this year. So we're going to table any uh, (laughs) any legacy talk and whatnot until the second part of this episode where we delve into the MVP race, but we wanted to give a shout-out to Russ for, I mean, just one of the most unbelievable seasons we've seen in any of our lifetimes. Uh, Alright, so let's now go to the other big story in my world this week. Georgetown, two weeks after firing John Thompson III, hired Patrick Ewing as its head coach. I'm going to alley-oop this one to myself because, well, <laughs> I'm a Georgetown alum and I dealt with 10 years of missing the NCAA tournament. And a showboater, out. so that's fitting. Yeah, <laughs> right. That too. Uh, so here are my thoughts on Patty, and then I'm going to throw it to you guys as well. You know, the things that I've heard, everything I've heard from him has me encouraged. Um, I... There is definitely concern about, look, he's never had a head coaching job of any kind before, so that's a worry. Um, He doesn't. You know, he hasn't worked in college. He's been in the NBA for the last 15 years. So he's worked with young guys. You know, he's worked with guys who just came into the league, but he hasn't dealt with the recruiting trail and the AAU circuit and all of that nonsense, which is a whole different world. So I think a lot of his success is going to come down to the guys he hires as his assistants, because it sounds like those are the guys who really put in the legwork and then he can close the deal. Um, the Georgetown's roster is just totally ravaged right now. Uh, LJP, their best player from last season, has declared for the draft, and I think he's hired an agent. Sounds like he's not coming back. Tremont Waters, their best recruit for next year, just asked out of his letter of intent, and Georgetown granted it. So they have... <laughs> it, it frankly, if you brought in Greg Popovich to this roster next year, they were still going to suck. Like it's going to be a very tough year. Um, but that said, the fact that he, you know, apparently I forget where I read this, but apparently during his job interview, uh, one of the people interviewing him was asking, like, "Hey, w- well, would you run the offense that Stephen Curry and the Golden State Warriors run?" He's like, "Well, uh, no, because I don't have Stephen Curry." <laughs> <laughs> so, so he's you know he's approaching it with a very realistic mindset. He's saying like we're gonna ro- run a pro style offense, which you know in all likelihood means a lot more pick and roll than you're used to from Georgetown under John Thompson the third. They had the Princeton offense, which when it worked worked beautifully. Like the 2006 and 2007 seasons, that was some of the best basketball I've seen Georgetown play in the last 12 years. You know they. Those, those some of my fondest memories from college are Georgetown basketball games when they beat 
undefeated number one Duke with J.J. Redick and Sheldon Williams when they knocked off UNC in the Elite Eight. They, you know, swept the Big East regular season, Big East tournament in 2007. That said, uh, Thompson's system just never really seemed to... When it doesn't work, when you don't have the right guys running it, when you don't have an Otto Porter or a Jeff Green or a Greg Monroe, it goes downhill very quickly, and it turns into four dudes standing around the three-point arc passing aimlessly back and forth until one of them just takes a shot because they don't know what else to do. So I'm glad to see Pat is going to run more of what he's used to in the NBA. Uh, I've, I think Adrian Wojnarowski, or I don't remember who reported this, but apparently he's, he's big on analytics, and as an assistant in the NBA, you would expect as much. You know, The inexperience is the big question in the recruiting, but I'm hopeful that it works out for Big Pat because, you know, frankly, he's deserved this job for a long time, right, Mort? Yeah, he has, and I'm not really worried about the recruiting. Oh, Hi. that's good. I'm Patrick Ewing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Honestly. I, I hope so, but, like, do kids these days know who he is, do you think? Well, thank you, Brian. You just made me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... You know, he played in 85, like, or he played in college. Uh, Okay, now you're you're being harsh. That was his rookie year, though. Like, people have to remember, well, maybe not, now that I think about it. Like, what are are the kids' ages, like, being recruited to college? I think the legacy is there. I think that matters. Yeah, they probably didn't watch him that much. Oh, my God, I'm so old. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that is my question. Do people know... Like, yeah, I think the legacy, like, you hear Patrick Ewing and you know who's a great basketball player, but, like, you know, I'm thinking back to, like, Giannis and Jason Kidd earlier in the year, where, like, we heard that story where Giannis was, like, mm-hmm. uh, Jason Kidd, like, yelled at him, and he's like, oh, what the hell did Jason Kidd ever do? And he looked, <laughs> looked up his stats on basketball reference, and was like, oh, okay, all right, you, you can yell at me, that's fine. Then, so, fine, like, fine, like, Patrick is going to go to these recruiting meetings, whatever, and he's going to have a printed out page of his basketball reference. Yeah, so, right. There you go. Here you yeah. go, kid. Look yeah. at what I did. And look yeah. look at the bottom of that page. Look at what college I attended. Like, right. Or, better yet, that would work on kids today, look how much money I earned thanks to going <laughs> right. to, to Georgetown. That was yeah. the school that prepared me to earn, you know, X amount of money. That's a and good in point. today's market, you can earn a hell of a lot more. Come <laughs> right. join me. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, apparently, he already, he was on the Dan Patrick show, I think, Thursday. And he was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to use AI however I can, like, in recruit. He's like, I, I know this kid in Connecticut who is the, the guy who just decommitted. He's like, he's a big Allen Iverson fan. I'm going to try to get them on the phone together, which is a recruiting violation. So, might <laughs> Oh, it is? Show. Yeah, apparently. So he, he might need to brush up on those rules. But, yeah, I mean, it seems like he's going to use the Georgetown legacy to his benefit. Like, he could, I'm sure he could call up Alonzo Mourning, Dikembe Mutombo, right. Iverson, Sleepy Floyd, like, a lot of those legends and get, you know, reach these guys. But I, my question is just, like, do they know who any of them are outside of Allen Iverson? Oh, wait, I have a good hook. Okay. I have a very good hook here. Please, hit me. So he leans into one of his recruits here, and he goes, "You know who one of my best friends are? Who? Michael Jordan." Oh, that's true. That is very true. Yeah, I mean, that's what's got me excited. It just the from Steve Clifford and the Van Gundys, they have just said such positive things about 
Pat and his work ethic and, you know, there there's always this, like, it's, like, a weirdly racist undertone where it's, like, I don't know if he, like, knows, if he's, like, put enough thought into this job or if he knows what he's getting into. It's, like, he's a grown-ass man, like... Of yeah. course he does. Like he, you know, what does that even mean? So and his his basketball IQ as well was off the tape, uh, off the charge, I should say. Right. Yeah. It was like and like it was insane. The, the some of the Hornets, you know, he always gets like they try to pigeonhole him as a big man coach, and he's like, no, I'm gonna like a lot of the Hornets players. I think Batum, especially, said like, yeah, I, I've talked with him. He's like really smart. Like he he sees the floor very well, and he sees things that he can teach me. That, you know, that you wouldn't expect necessarily from a mm-hmm. seven-footer, but yeah, I mean, uh, let's and let's he could handle just... the ball. He was used to being on the perimeter as well. I mean, jeez, yeah. yeah. So let's all knock on wood. The big Pat fares well at Georgetown. Yeah. I uh, like it. He's yeah. deserved it. Like so many years on the bench. I mean, yeah, yeah. Okay, you could, uh, you let's could do move a lot on. worse than a guy though who's passionate about your program too. So that's true. They're, they're mm. going to be fine. He knows the game. He wants to be there. They'll be all right. Yeah, that's a very good point. All right, uh, let's move on to the Orlando Magic, the <laughs> the weekly embarrassment of the Orlando Magic. <laughs> this uh, is so gorgeous. <laughs> this week, they they signed uh, someone to a ten day contract to bring him in at the end of the year. His agent tweeted a photo of him signing said contract. In the background of that photo was a whiteboard, seemingly with the Orlando Magic's uh, trade free agency targets this summer. Uh, guys, I want to. I'm going to throw this one to you first because I know <laughs> one in particular stood out to you. But what 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 of this board caught your eye? Aaron Gordon for Dario Saric? Are you kidding me? Like, yeah. what? Yeah. Uh, look, I mean, I get that Aaron Gordon had a lot of hype, a lot of potential. He probably still does, but like, right of, as of right now, Saric just projects as like the clear-cut winner of the two. Mm-hmm. And I mean, look, isn't Gordon up for an extension like next yep. year as well? He so sure is. it's not it's not even going to be cost-effective either, like, right? Why would Philly even consider moving a guy who is cost control for another two years, I want to say? Two? Uh, I mean, he's locked in through 2019, 2020. So Gordon has, he has an extra two oh, years on Gordon. right, because he, he, he did not pull a Nikola Miritich and yeah. stay three years. So he's actually right. bound to the he's rookie on, skills. So that's another deal. three yeah. years. Yeah. Why? Oh, Orlando's yeah. going to Orlando, huh? Yeah. Just, yeah, 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 but I mean, at least the names on that uh, whiteboard were agile bigs and yeah. you know combo forwards and guy who could shoot. It's like new era guys, so that's mm-hmm. something. Yeah, it I was mean, just yeah. like the Aaron Gordon idea. That was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> what kind it of value do you cute. think he has? Yeah, I, I don't want to jinx it because God knows. Brian Colangelo could, uh, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not gonna say anything about that. I think you brought up the financial aspect of why that's especially dumb, but I'm never gonna rule out Brian Colangelo doing something crazy. Sarah, did anything on this board uh, make you laugh? 
just like the whole situation was funny, <laughs> but it was also mortifying. Like, yeah. I, you know, <laughs> live in fear of ways to get fired. And, and oh my God. <laughs> of course, we think that came from an agent, but God, you got to be careful when you point yeah. your camera oh. these days. Um, other than that, I would just like them to keep their paws off Davis Bertans. That's it. Yes. That's all I care about. Yes. Leave him yeah. alone. He did show up on the list. Mm-hmm. As did, they they put an Anderson on there, and I'm wondering if that's Kyle Anderson or Justin Anderson. Either way, one of us is going to get mad. <laughs> uh, Nico Miritich is also on there. Mm-hmm. The, the thing I like, they have a they have two Jay Greens, so it's not clear which one is Jeff and which one's Jamichael. But one of them has an X next to his name, which I'd love to know, like, what that... Is that... Is, if that's Jeff Green, does that mean, like, nope, we yep, did it nope. once? Nope. We learned our lesson? That, that but, actually seems somewhat realistic, doesn't it? I know, right? Doesn't it? But, yeah, to your point, where I, I am encouraged, you know, looking at this list, like, they've got Wilson Chandler, Stanley Johnson, Tobias Harris, Marcus Morris, uh, Gallinari, Iguodala, mm. James Johnson... Wilson Chamfer. Yeah. I know. I could dig that. Rudy Gay, Caspi, PJ Tucker. Like, they've got a lot of those, as you mentioned, like those nice two way wings, like the small forward types that you can put next to Aaron Gordon. It seems like, assuming they don't trade him for Dario Saric, they are committed to keeping him at the four. It only took them three years to realize that was the best play. So. Uh, if you want a preview of what the Orlando Magic are going to do this summer, just Google Orlando Magic Whiteboard, and you'll have a good idea. Uh, Alright, last thing we need to touch on this week. It seems like the quote-unquote unwritten rules of the NBA have suddenly become a big story. Lance Stevenson, who we talked about last week, uh, what to expect when he came back to the Pacers. We forgot to mention we expected him to incite a riot because he nearly did that against the Raptors the other night. Uh, he, The Pacers are up like 15 points already. There are three seconds left of the game, and Lance dribbles down the court and goes in for a layup. So then P.J. Tucker and DeMar DeRozan get in his face. Uh, DeRozan got ejected for his second technical foul. I think Lance and P.J. Tucker each got a technical. We also recently had JaVale McGee shooting a late three against the Wizards in a blowout which Brandon Jennings took offense to. So, Sarah, you've been around the NBA uh, a lot in the last couple of years, so I want to ask, is this is this a thing? Is this, is this like, do players really care about this, or is this just a weird coincidence that we've had two instances in the last week or so? I mean, it's definitely an unwritten rule. Generally, I don't feel like NBA players take their unwritten rules quite as seriously as like baseball players do, mm. but then again, what's happened this week makes that seem completely false. <laughs> People have been deadly serious. PJ Tucker was pissed. Yeah, he was right in Lance's. <laughs> well, the back of his head because Lance was right. just walking away like <laughs> right. they weren't even there. Yep. Yeah, but no, it's it's pretty amazing. But people, I mean, NBA players do care about it. Um, I know there was an incident, I think I think it was all the way back in 2014 already, in Portland, where Nick Batum shot a late three, and he just kind of threw it up, you know, because sometimes it depends on the shot clock. I think it's fine if the shot clock, even if you're up, if the shot clock's going to go off, you can kind of throw it and hope it goes off the rim, um, and it's not a huge deal, but it happened to go in, 
<laughs> and Tim Duncan gave him the best look ever. I'll have to tweet it out because I found the picture. Oh, nice. It was a perfect. Somebody got the perfect picture of Batum <laughs> kind of smiling and Tim looking back like, all right. <laughs> but it was beautiful. And, and it's worth mentioning that I do remember Batum like immediately apologized after the game and said, that's the worst thing I've ever done on a basketball court. And this is after he had already punched somebody in the balls in the Olympics. So <laughs> worth noting that apparently that is the worst offense in the basketball world. So there what do go. I know? Yeah. There you go. More, where where do you stand on this unwritten rule nonsense? Well, I'm European, so mm-hmm. we play until the <laughs> clock buzzes. Okay. Um, yeah, we uh, we really don't you know dribble the ball out. Some some teams have begun to do so because of the NBA, which is kind of weird. Oh, wow. And then you have the coaches on the sideline, like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, I have a whole different mentality to it. And I think it's kind of fun because uh, can we agree on something that I, I'm hoping I'm not going to step on anyone's toes here, but American ball players are more focused on stats than Europeans are. Is that a fair assumption for the most part? I think so. Well, okay. Yeah, especially younger true. guys. Yeah. So if we apply that logic, it's kind of ironic that players in in spain and france and just overall you know uh, all over europe are like let me get that last bucket in mm, and yeah. in 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 the nba where every stat matters apparently is like nope i'm just gonna dribble it out instead of launching this wide open three like i would assume like most youngsters which is like i would like to add those three points to my total yeah but yeah so that's kind of fun but no i think it's ridiculous play i mean if you don't want to get shown up or whatever the hell these players think, right. then play defense. Stop the dude right. from scoring. I don't care. Just as long as nobody gets hurt on the last play, then I'm okay. Yeah. I just don't understand why it matters. Like you're, It's not like a margin of victory thing. It's not like college football where margin of victory matters. Like It doesn't matter if you lose by 15 or 17. So if Lance right. hits that last layup, like who cares? This just seems, seems crazy to me that... As you mentioned, Sarah, like PJ Tucker was all up in Lance's <laughs> face the second that he, you know, Lance tried running down the court, and then DeRozan and PJ Tucker like converged on him just to yell at him. So weird. Damn weird. you! We lost by forty instead of thirty-eight. Like, <laughs> right? Yeah, I get it. Like, it's you're you're so down weird. fifteen. Who cares? Uh, okay, let's move into our crushes of the week. These are guys who do not get the attention that they deserve. Sarah, let's start with your crush of the week. Well, I, I went with guys who had big games last night. Um, okay. So Torian Prince. Yes. Um, ooh, I think it was said that he he's another one of my favorite uh, late game storylines, or late season storylines. Um, yeah, Nurkic was number one, but other than that, <laughs> the only thing worth following late in the season is young players who start to get more minutes and respond well. Mm-hmm. He's one of those guys. Um, he's had six starts in a row, and in those six starts, he's averaging nearly 14 points per game, five rebounds, three and a half steals. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, shooting pretty well, so excited for him. Uh, definitely looking like he's going to be a good player. And I wanted to give a, a standing ovation to Alan Crabb. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who went off last night, uh, eight of ten from three in, in the comeback victory over Minnesota to help them sort of solidify their playoff positioning a little more. 
but he's he's really been one of few reliable three-point options for the Blazers all year. He's shooting 44% for the season from three. Um, he's got a career high and makes 134. And also, I think the Blazers PR tweeted out last night at some point that before he went off, he only he was three of three at that point from three, uh, and they said he had 120 makes off the bench, which wow. was fifth in the NBA at the time. So, yeah. and then he made seven more that night. So, <laughs> yeah, definitely top five uh, three point shooter off the bench. So good for him. Wow. Yeah, I mean he that, that was a big win for the Blazers too, as we mm-hmm. mentioned earlier. Like they could have been a half game up on the Nuggets. I mean they're their end of season schedule is a lot easier than the Nuggets, so it probably wouldn't have made a difference. But yeah, kudos to Crab, and I'm glad you brought up Tori and Prince. I just wrote a fantasy column for FanRag about streamers to focus on this weekend, and he's in there for awesome. I think for the steals because <laughs> uh, you know he it, it could be that Paul Millsap's injury, there is like knee soreness or whatever he had, it could end up being a blessing in disguise because now we're seeing Prince. He has a legitimate role in that rotation. Like, he needs to be a factor in the playoffs, and I'm not going to say he's going to swing a series either way, but the fact that they have more confidence in him and he has more confidence in himself could be a big boost to Atlanta. So, good call on Prince, Sarah. You guys are welcome, because that's my fault. It's all thanks to me, because I actually complained about him a couple weeks ago on my Danish podcast. Oh, Oh, good. (laughs) And right after... He started averaging fourteen and five. Yeah, good so, work. So yeah, kudos. <laughs> Perfect All timing. Right. Who are you going to complain about this week? I'm not going to complain about anyone. I'm actually <laughs> going to show some love to one guy who deserves it, who has gone under the radar, and that's my fault. Oh. Um, yeah. Okay. So I'm going to be honest here. Um, we've talked a lot about the Bulls, and oh. I have I no, no I, I've used every chance I've had to. <laughs> To really just crab on them and whatever, and I I believe I believe all the all the things I've said. I agree mm-hmm. with. I, I mean, I think that they are horrible. Manage all these <laughs> things, but what have gone under the radar, and that's my fault. I've not shown Jimmy the love that he deserves. Oh. Uh, we have not talked about Jimmy Butler enough. Whenever the conversation about Chicago has risen, we've talked about their crappy ownership, crappy <laughs> management, whatever. But we haven't stopped to really discuss the kind of season that Jimmy Butler has had. He's been freaking amazing. And if he had been on a better team right now, he would have been an MVP candidate. Mm -hmm. This guy is averaging almost 24 points a game, over 6 rebounds and and 5.5 assists. Prior to the season, or sorry, prior to last season, he said some things that most Bulls fans laughed at. Like, I think I'm a point guard, he said. And Bulls fans were like, yeah, right. Well, crap, he is. High point, Jimmy. I mean, look, he is so great at handling the ball and getting guys involved. He's he's like a defensive-minded James Harden. Yeah. And I would, I know you love James, Brian, but I would say mm-hmm. that under the right circumstances, I think he could be even better. Wow. Like, if you surround him with the right type of guys like he's already better defensively by a freaking mile oh yeah like like the offense and the offensive part like you know it's not the gap is large yes mm-hmm. but it's not that large it's so definitely if he narrowing gets, yeah right so and he's a great rebounder like james and he's a great passer like he's not he's not averaging 11 assists but <laughs> right. in the right system he could he could easily average seven and a half eight 
Yeah. Over the last week, he's averaged 28 points, 28.4, six boards, six and a half assists, shooting 53 from the field, 64% from downtown, and 84 from the line. And his free throw shooting is a story for this season. Nine free throw attempts a night at 86% accuracy. And for a guy who is that high volume of a scorer, high, that high volume of a passer, he only averages 2.1 turnovers per game. Wow, Jimmy yeah. is is really much like Kawhi in that sense. Like he's not mistake throw at all. Mm-hmm. He's a very secure player, and whenever he's given a chance to expand his role, he does it without like increasing all the negative numbers a whole bunch. So some love thrown Jimmy's way because he deserves it. The Bulls we... don't, but Jimmy does. <laughs> Do you know I I nearly picked him. So I'm glad that so, you did, yeah. Because yeah, I felt like he was overdue for some love too. Yeah, we really haven't talked about him, and that's on me because yeah. like we, every time the Bulls come up, I've been like screw him, and that <laughs> partially meant that I've said screw. Let's t- talk about Jimmy as well. So let's get into some Jimmy talk at some point later on. Maybe even in the MVP debate we're gonna have. Yeah, just for funsies. I really <laughs> thought you were gonna go with Rajon Rondo there, so I'm disappointed no. in you. No, 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 no. You know what? I I can give credit when where credit is due, but Rondo, I'm not going. I'm not going to go there. He's been playing well lately. I don't care, Brian. Now. That's just going to make the Bulls keep him. That's true. That's fair. All right. Uh, I'm going to go with the guy who Jimmy Butler murdered on Thursday night, and that is Timothy Luwabu Cabarro of oh the Sixers. God, he got owned so bad. Yeah, he got worked. I mean, so in the Oh, wait. First, I need to give a shout-out, actually, to the Sixers medical staff. I forgot. That's my real crush of the week. Because <laughs> we've already... Embiid and Simmons have been out for the year for a while. Okafor got shut down recently with knee soreness, like, a year after undergoing surgery that should not have had lingering effects the entire year. Robert Covington now has a torn meniscus, and he played on that, presumably, for at least a little while. Now Dario Saric has plantar fasciitis... And not only are they letting they're, they're letting him play, they're putting a 24-minute restriction on him, but they're letting him play through this, which is just so damn absurd because he's, like, the only good player we have left that's still standing, and these games mean nothing. Like, it, it actually helps the Sixers to lose every game. So, kudos, Sixers medical staff. You've had a bang-up year. <laughs> Keep up the good work. Uh, that said, let me go back to TLC. You know, he's only shooting 40%. Over his last six games, but he's playing 36 minutes because Covington is now joining the Torn Meniscus Club. Uh, that said, he's averaging almost 17 points, five rebounds, two assists, two threes, and a steal uh, in those 36 minutes. So, you know, I was really high on the guy when the Sixers got him. He was the 24th pick this past year. Um, I didn't think he was going to play a huge role, at, you know, early in the year, and he frankly didn't, but. Because of Covington's injury, he's had a chance to kind of show what he's doing can do late. I think you know they've got him locked up on a rookie deal for three more years. I think he's going to be a factor in this rotation. Uh, he's I don't know if he's going to be the starting shooting guard next year. They still have Gerald Henderson possibly and Nick Stauskas, so he's got competition. But he's showing signs that he's going to be a late round steal and in. This draft class, where a lot of the guys have frankly underperformed for, compared to expectations, 
seeing these flashes from him late in the year has me very optimistic about. I'm gonna the call Sixers. you Sean Spicer though. <laughs> Why? Is, I did you, you not hear me just crap all over the Sixers medical staff? Yeah, I did. <laughs> but about Luwau, you said uh-huh. he was you know knocking down two threes a game over the last five. That's true, but you kind yeah. of neglected the, yeah. the fact that he takes eight per game. That, <laughs> right? He's shooting twenty two and a half percent in that stretch. Yeah, that's fine. It still counts. He's hitting them. <laughs> he's hit more threes in the last six games than Jaleel Okafor has in two years. So he's more of a modern basketball player than the former number three overall pick. And I already We're picked so Rashawn sad, Holmes. Brian. I already picked Rashawn Holmes a couple weeks ago, so I couldn't uh, use him. So kudos well, to the TLC. I like him, so that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. All right. That will wrap things up for the first part of this episode. Again, be sure there will be a second part coming out soon uh, where we're finally going to have our long-awaited award debates, so check that out as well. Until then, be sure to check us out on Twitter at fan Re- or, sorry at the NBA Pod. Uh, again, you can find all three of our Twitter handles in the bio as well. You can find us this year on iTunes, so subscribe, download, we'd love any feedback. Uh, and follow FanRag Sports on Twitter at FanRag Sports, and then for their NBA content at FanRag NBA. Until next time, I'm Brian Tapork, and I was joined by Morton Jensen and Sarah Chalea. Have a good one, you two. Likewise, Brian. <laughs> See you soon. All right. Bye, guys. Easter is coming up, and I just can't wait to have the whole family in one place. And, of course, what's Easter without an awesome Easter brunch? Now, I don't know about your family, but mine is a little picky, and I really wanted to impress them with something delicious. A friend told me I should check out Total Wine & More. It was crazy. They must have every wine and beer imaginable. I told one of their friendly experts my situation, and they found me just the thing. This sparkling wine is going to be absolutely perfect for brunch, even with my picky family. I know next time I need something, I'm shopping at Total Wine & More more the starlight lounge presents an evening with the progressive box yeah that's hugo tickling the ivories he just saved by bundling home and auto with progressive gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours hugo send her my condolences oh this next one's for you too there's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. At ACE, we believe there's nothing better than helping kids. That's why we've been proud to support Children's Miracle Network Hospitals for over 25 years. This Friday through Sunday, get our five-gallon bucket and 20% off almost anything that fits inside when you donate $5 to support Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. And like ACE, CMN Hospitals are local, so the money you donate helps kids near you. ACE is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. Offer valid at participating stores on regular price merchandise only. Additional conditions and exclusions apply. See store for details.